Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Oh, Rage, what are we doing today? I'll give it to you as an equation. We have to do math. We're not that kind of dork. All right, all right, I know, but just, just hear me out. Okay, fine. So, what do you get when you take Spycraft, add a tour of the globe, culminating in a space battle on a satellite to prevent a billionaire tech guru from destroying the population so that he may repopulate the Earth with the most desirable and deserving, all the while, Mr. Larson from Happy Gilmore is trying to kill the womanizing hero. Um, did you find Elon Musk's secret plans to take over the world? Um, that's really believable, but no, not really. The Republican Party platform for the future. No! And by the way, political malady, or whatever you guys are going to call it, hasn't started yet, so keep it out of here. Uh, one of those crappy B-movies that you love so much. You know, I get why you would definitely think that, but, uh, no. The next Fast and Furious movie? Huh. You know, it does kind of sound that way, doesn't it? But no, 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 no. It lacks the quote-unquote family angle with yet a new brother appearing. Yeah, they did launch a car to space. So what then? Today's symptom. James Bond and Moonraker. Oh! Sci-Fi Melody, Symptom 209, Moonraker, James Bond meets Mr. Larson in space. Impressive, uh, Scott. Yeah, I am not going to try to match that. Welcome back, sickies, to our new topic this month, Spy-Fi September. We're doing doing spycraft meets science fiction. And I thought it would be fitting if we're going to do a spy film, we have to start with the one and only James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. We had to start with Fast and the Furious, basically? You know, I didn't think it that way until Scott mentioned it. And I still believe, I like that Scott added that this is classier because, of course, it's James Bond. But, yeah, there is a little bit of Fast and the Furious in there, isn't there? It's not as ridiculous, but... It, it was... Yeah, there is a little bit of Fast and Furious in there. It was quite lie. crazy, let's be honest. Uh, for a James Bond flick, it was. But, I mean, there was a, a, a book, the Ian Fleming book, so there is that, I guess. But... At any rate, we're starting off with James Bond's Moonraker from 1979. This would have been the Roger Moore era of films. And this was coming right after The Spy Who Loved Me, his first feature film portraying Bond. And the, well, I guess I've already kind of started in on the fun facts here. But what's so funny is that was not meant to be Moonraker. Moonraker was supposed to be the third Roger Moore film coming out for James Bond. But after Star Wars came out, the director and producer decided that, no, 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 we have to compete with Star Wars. Why? Every, Why? Everyone felt they had to compete with Star Wars. Star Wars was a game changer. So everybody was trying to jump on that bandwagon. And they did it with Moonraker. And, um, I mean... Okay, I understand why you want to make the money, but... Why compete with Star Wars? You're not going to do it. It's obvious. You know... We've discussed this before that 
producers, whether they be in, in whatever branch of entertainment, film, music, whatever, are wholly uncreative hacks that love to find formulas. And when they see one, they immediately want to replicate it. So that's where we got this. Instead of seeing James Bond as it was meant to be, they just said, all right, let's do James Bond in space, and hopefully we can capitalize on that. Uh, that's the first fun fact here, Sickies. I, I have a few more, and this one I'm just going to read directly from online because it takes forever, but it is so fascinating. So the beginning of the film, except for a br few brief close-ups, the entire sequence at the beginning with Bond, Jaws, and the pilot falling from the plane were shot in free fall. And the seven-pound camera for these sequences was mounted on the helmet of another skydiver. And in fact, a few of the shots were the cameraman's arms and legs. Stuntmen Jake Lombard and, and uh, I'm not going to say his name because Scott will derail everything. <laughs> wore, wore, no. wore parachutes concealed within their suits. The parachute over which they fought was actually a dummy chute, which had to be removed before the stuntmen could use the real parachute underneath. So stuntman Jake Lombard would don and then remove the dummy chute up to three times in a single jump. The actual parachutes used by the stuntman had a main and reserve chute concealed within the suit coats. That's impressive that they managed to get two uh, uh, chutes under those coats. I oh, did not really notice them. It gets better. A breakaway seam ran down the back, which allowed the parachute to be open without the need to remove the coat. There were only 60 to 70 seconds of freefall time between when the stunt performers exited the aircraft and when they had to activate their chutes. After factoring the time needed to get the performers and cameraman into position after leaving the plane, only a few seconds of film could be shot per jump, leading to the entire sequence requiring 88 jumps and oh. five weeks to film just to produce two minutes of footage in the final movie. Oh, I... I, I, I yep, that bad. And uh, which is one of the reasons why the cost for this film was $30 million, nearly as much as the first eight films combined. Is it so. worth it? I mean, honestly, no. That, that was, I mean. Well, I mean, some of those scenes were obviously in front of a green screen, too. So Sure, but there were a lot of free fall scenes. It was impressive. I was thoroughly entertained, but the whole time, now that I think back on it, 88 scenes. 88 Whoa. different 88 over jumps. five weeks. Well, also. For two minutes of before the beginnings where I was literally like, am I in the middle of a Bond movie? Because this seems like the climax of something. Oh, it was a Bond movie, but they really decided to lead off strong. I feel like 88 scenes just to get that um, double entendre innuendo that he's on his last leg yeah. joke mm -hmm. into the script. Because quite honestly, I, I didn't feel that that added anything to the movie mm. no and i feel like the movie probably works just as well with that out of it and i felt like this movie was too long to begin with mm -hmm. so this is something that that easily should have been hemingwayed out of the script <laughs> yeah especially when it goes hey uh to do this scene we're going to have to do multiple jumps like how many like 12 mm. or something ah keep going uh 50 mm, keep going uh, what boy, no be... no no we're out 50 was our max 50, man, that would be great. And Jaws doesn't even die from the jump. We need Jaws oh, no, to no, survive no, no. By, yeah. by a circus tent breaking his well, fall. Well, and what's funny about the circus tent, that's uh, another fun fact. I wasn't going to mention it, but since you brought it up, 
the scene there was supposed to be a scene of him coming out of the tent like surviving but somehow it got ruined so we never got to see that that's why it looks so dumb and there's no resolution because the foot they lost the footage or whatever that said the opening scene of a movie is always supposed to set the tone for what's going to follow in the movie so if it was and going it for it. stupid unbelievability it, did. it, it made it right out of the uh, take it was all verisimilitude out of the film it was a, it was i don't Nailed know if it. it would kill it because it's a bond film and you know this crazy crap's gonna happen in a bond film well uh, i guess it depends on what bond you have some of them bonds have been a little more down well, to earth yeah, based especially on the technology and the time. That's for sure. That's for sure. In fact, speaking of why this was so costly and other things that didn't work out right the first time or took forever to work. In Venice, the gondola scene when it converted to a, a hovercraft and elevated out of the water. Oh, good grief. That made no damn sense. Uh, guess how many times that took to work out? I don't want to know. 237? <laughs> wow, way less. Way less okay, than 50, that. considering it took 88. Much less than that. Much okay, less. 12. Six. Five. Okay. It worked on the fifth attempt. During the first four takes, the vehicle was so unstable that Roger Moore fell into the water and needed to have his silk suit replaced for each take. (laughs) It was fortunate the stunt worked during the fifth take because... They ran uh, out of suits. He was wearing the last available suit. Oh, I I was joking. I was right. (laughs) Um, So wait, they had five suits made? Yeah. Oh, good grief. The, uh, the cable that Jaws bit into was actually licorice. That was a nice little fun one. No, you mean he couldn't actually bite through solid steel? Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, shocker. Uh, this film, speaking of money, cost the most until GoldenEye. GoldenEye surpassed it. Uh, so, and also, the fight between Bond and that uh, Japanese guy... In the, uh, the glass t- clock tower. Oh, the, the gla- glass fat, the glass museum oh, with I, million dollar glass. That was so stupid. That was the largest amount of sugar glass ever used in a film up to that point. Yes, it was dumb. Um, wait, no, wait, was, huh? are you telling again? Shocker. That wasn't real glass. Oh, no. <laughs> so here's I'm going to let uh, Scott make fun of this name. The producer's name was Albert R. Broccoli. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. He's R. Broccoli. <laughs> or Broccoli Rob from the office, if you remember that. Yeah. Oh. Star Trek The Next Generation, in his first um, in his first appearance, Reginald Barkley was nicknamed Broccoli by Wesley Crusher. Uh, Data's like, why are we clandestinely referring to Lieutenant Barkley as a vegetable? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, oh. you might have noticed that in Venice, when he had to... When Bond had to use that key key card, it sounded suspiciously like another. Film oh, I reviewed. caught that one. It was like, oh wow, I I, I know that tune. Close Encounters mm. the Third Kind. Uh, Broccoli called up Steven Spielberg and asked if he could borrow that, and Spielberg gave it to him. Then years later, Spielberg asked Broccoli if he could borrow the James Bond song for a little movie he was doing called The Goonies. Mm. To which point Broccoli said, I don't know, Steve, that the James Bond song is more than five notes. <laughs> oh, man. It was done in tongue in cheek. Uh, okay. Uh, I was going to say, was if very... he didn't, did he ever direct anything again? <laughs> no, no, no. It produce? Was, it was done as tongue in cheek. He was like, of course you can. But He's like, was, eh, his first cooler. response was, I don't know, Steven, that, that, that song's more than five notes. I feel like if you want to kill your Hollywood career... <laughs> Go against just, Spielberg. Just deny Steven Spielberg anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your, your, your career's over. Yeah. 
It's over. Goodbye. But wow. That again, I noticed that immediately as soon as he punched that in, I was like, Oh. Oh yeah, that was so, I I had to look to see this movie was before after that, right? Um So Sir Roger Moore went for the Brazil sequence. When he arrived, he arrived a few days late for the shoot due to kidney stone attack while in France. He also had a renal colic attack while filming Live and Let Die in nineteen seventy three. But once he got to Rio, he literally walked off the plane, went into makeup and hair, got fitted out, went back onto the plane, and then they filmed him walking back out the same plane as his arrival. Because <laughs> they needed to film his arrival. So they're just like, they had his old staff at the airport, and they're like, here, get ready. Go back on the plane. And they paid to keep the plane on the tarmac so that they could refilm, so they could film that scene and get on with it. Dude, uh, some of these scenes I'm looking at and go, how much did that cost? I'm like, oh, so we're going through Venice. Mm-hmm. Oh, that has to be expensive to, A, get the insurance to do this stuff, and, oh, to go along. Okay. Oh, Brazil, sure. Uh, that's expensive. Yep. Three more. Uh, so Jaws was supposed to be the one of the ultimate baddies of James Bond. That is until a bunch of kids wrote in saying, can he become a good guy? He seems so nice. So to get the kids, he switched them at the end to having a change of heart. Yeah, we'll come back to that later. Yeah, but that's why, if you're wondering why the sudden change of heart that does slightly make sense, but still still comes out of left field, it's because a bunch of kids wrote a, a bunch of fan mail, which I'll give the producer credit. He answered the fans, unlike today, which you would go on a Twitter rant saying how horrible they are. Yeah, but maybe this is an example of why you don't listen to the fans. Hey, if the fans showed up and paid you, Scott. Wait a minute, here we go. The fans came and gave you money. I am Scott. I immediately changed my mind. Money, money, money. You know, I'm not... I I might have more artistic integrity than you give me credit for. Sometimes that's true. But... It's only so much money that you need at this point. You're the James Bond franchise. Are you trying to build a real fortress on the moon? Also, (laughs) how much money do you need? (laughs) Would responding to the kids, kids are watching this? Oh, sure. I'm just going to say this before I I completely derail us. There's a reason that when somebody says, hey, did you check out this fan fiction about... Star Trek or oh, Star please, Wars? No, or any no, 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 oh, yeah. no, no. The answer is no, and I never intend to because ninety-eight percent, with the exception of Axanar, and even Axanar isn't that good. I'm sorry, Axanar is supposed to be held as like the best fan fiction oh. ever for Star Trek. It's crap. Most of the good fan fiction for Star Trek continues is crap. It's not good. Fan fiction usually sucks. Well, the, again, there are a few exceptions, very few, where you go, oh, and most of those are short and sweet and are like little fan projects, not whole series and stuff like that. And then especially fan fiction immediately go, ooh, you might find the one diamond in the rough, but most of your things are going to be awful. And some of them are so bad that they almost come back around to being good. Yep, I mean, like, look, Axanar, I made a lot of enemies there, but Axanar (laughs) and Star Trek Continues are okay. They're okay. And that's about the most I can ever expect out of 
fan fiction for an established franchise is that it will be okay. I mean, come on. I, I wrote my own fan fiction multiple times. <clears throat> One, I tried to win a contest for uh, Kirk versus Picard on how they met. And you ag- acknowledged that it was garbage on wheels. It was garbage on wheels. Uh, first, I took the worst Star Trek TOS episode that most people think existed, um, the Lazarus Effect, or uh, the Alternative Factor. And I, and I tried to redo the story about Lazarus breaking out of his, uh, his, his uh, time portal. And then the, the one comment that I really got is, your McCoy is too intense. If you make McCoy <laughs> too intense, you're terrible. And then as a kid, my other fan fiction that I actually wrote like three chapters of, let's just say I had Captain Picard join the poker game and beat Will Riker's four of a kind with a royal flush. So I, I have a question. You've mentioned <sighs> this before. We, uh, we'll jump back into Moonraker in a minute. But I recall you telling me that in uh, the first, with your McCoy, you had him saying things that were just utterly outlandish. What were a few of those things? Example, like, like Spock said something like, logic would dictate that the reason we're getting these time quakes is that Lazarus is escaping the time portal that he had a battle with. And that, good God, man, the whole universe is coming undone and this man's talking about logic. Now, I thought that was spot on. But then every, like, McCoy never had a normal line. It would be something like, we should investigate. Good God, man, investigate? Well, what do you think, Bones? I don't know. I'm a doctor, not a temporal physicist. I took, like, yeah, every... Yeah, that's the word. Those are the word. Those are the lines you told yeah, me. Yeah, that's, uh, I had, I, boy. Had, I had every time McCoy spoke, it was over the top. Good God, man, do something. Everything was good God, man. Or, it was just, I'm a doctor, not a... I never mixed in... I had some... In, in Any one of them in isolation was a good McCoy line. But it was every single one of them. So in other over words... So little overload. Do you, want, do you want mustard on your sandwich? Good God, man! Do you know how many calories are in that? Mustard? We're talking about the end of civilization and you're asking me about mustard on my sandwich? Just get me a sandwich, man! <laughs> yeah, so... Bring I'm a, a doctor, not a food critic. <laughs> bringing it back to Moonraker, we'll have to have an episode one day about Scott's fan fiction. Maybe you could read it. Oh, please. Uh, no, no, I'm no. Just make sure Thomas and I aren't in the room. I've tried <laughs> to find it, and I can't. Oh, I've looked for the Kirk versus Picard so, contest, and it no longer is on so the So I am 2% oh, upset darn it. about that. Oh, darn. 2% so upset sad. About yep. that. <laughs> um, so in Ian Fleming's novel, he made the comment that when Bond hits 45, he loses the double O list and he gets a staff job at headquarters. Roger Moore was 45 when he filmed his first Bond film. And so by the time this came out, he would have been 49 or so, something like that. So just a little fun fact there. And final one. Speaking of daring do during the filming, during the cable car stunt above Rio, a real cliffhanger moment occurred when stuntman Richard Graydon slipped and was hanging on for dear life. <laughs> oh. The crew were petrified while the camera was rolling and they were watching from a vantage point. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're just watching this guy dangle. I, crap! I gotta say that the stuntmen from these older movies, they got balls, man. Major mega balls. Well, it's like- I think all stuntmen have balls. Sure, uh, even but- now... It's like, uh, you got pads, but you have to run and then on a treadmill behind a car and then jump 
to another. I'm sorry, what? I was watching the holiday movies that made us and the stuntmen for um, Home Alone. Oh, yeah. We're telling, we're, oh. they're just like, yeah, we had no plan on that. I just ran onto the ice and threw myself in the air as high as I could and landed yeah. in the concrete. I'm like, what? Wow. Yeah. Dude. That could kill you. Oh, yeah. Was, even even yeah. stuntmen today, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally got injured there. I pulled my back. I bro- broke this. Oh, yeah, that, oh, that one was a tough one. If you notice, I landed wrong. It's like, what? Or maybe the most, the, the most uncredited stuntman ever, professional wrestlers. Mick Foley will still tell you that, I don't know, we just thought it would be okay. I leapt off the top of that cage and hoped I hit the announce table. <laughs> Everyone thinks that there's like a plan for that. Like he was wearing extra padding or the table's meant to explode. What does it mean it's meant to explode? He threw him 15 off an 18-foot cage through a wooden announce table with monitors and TVs on it. And then they tell you later, like, everyone thought that it was planned that The Undertaker would powerbomb him on the top of that cage and that he would fall through. Nope. <laughs> nope. It just gave. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's a derailment. But yeah. But no. But, but stuntmen are, oh. there's something wrong with stuntmen. <laughs> It'll probably work. I mean, that's the same. Uh... Well, I mean, yeah, you do do as much as possible to mitigate it. You do do as much as possible. Thanks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> derailing. But no, you try and mitigate the risk, but the risks are definitely there. Oh yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking. No of, thanks. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the movie Police Story with Jackie Chan. At the very end, when he jumps Ooh. through a bunch of sheets of plate glass, and uh, while sliding down a pole, didn't he break his what? Back? No, actually, he was okay on that. Except like an hour later, he was trying to go into his hotel. And he put his reached his hand out to turn the doorknob, and he started trembling, and he couldn't do anything. He was just trembling in place from it. He's like, it caught the shock caught up to me. I just couldn't do anything, and and uh, everyone they he only filmed it in one take, and the cameraman was like, "You gonna be okay? Yeah, I think I'll be fine." So. Yeah, it. Well, I mean, even Jackie Chan's broken a few things. Oh, he's almost died. Um, yeah, multiple times. I mean, yeah. so anyway, getting back to Moonraker, this might be the. the... Rage Masters, one minute plot summary. Ready, set, go. I'll try the plot and we'll see how it goes. So Can basically, you... at okay. the beginning, a uh, space shuttle on an airplane that's going, that's on loan from the US to the UK gets hijacked. And we come to find out that it's because of uh, the leader of Draxel Corporation, who manufactures this thing in California and various parts of the world, stole it for his nefarious purpose, which is to set, take the best and the brightest of the planet, send them out to a satellite called Moonraker with a bunch of other sh- shuttles, and then send this orchid uh, back to Earth, which will drop seeds that will kill all the population, and then he will bring them all back, repopulate the Earth, and he'll be mad dictator-in-chief. And James Bond has to go around to places like California, Rio, France, and Venice to put the pieces together. And then, of course, he works with a CIA operative, blasts off into space, laser battle in space, blows up a few uh, orchid orbs, and saves the day. That's about right. 
Yeah, also brings up a few things like, oh, space shuttles having lasers. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, The Marine course, Corps suddenly having an entire laser yeah, we're not, Marines oh, task force. That's going to be in rips and picks, but that was just an overall plot summary. The plot summary makes no hold sense. Hold on, but hold on. You did it. I did it. You Wait. finally he did. did a plot summary in under a minute on maybe the most convoluted <laughs> plot How? I've ever heard. How did you somehow make this one the one know. you go one minute summary when know. this one makes no sense at all i don't know it just happened i want to ask a question and, and this is, might be one of the ultimate derailments i don't know if it's on the list oh, and, and please forgive me Smeg. why do we give the bond movies a pass for imbecilic unbelievability and having a plot that makes be- no sense but we do not Give the Fast and Furious. No one in this room gives the Fast and Furious movies a pass. Because I do. Bond is oh, you do? Okay. and classy uh, 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 and cool. I give the... Let me phrase I, I'm it. I'm asking myself legitimately here because I do not give the Fast and Furious movies a pass. I think they're complete crap. After basically probably Fast and Furious 2 where they just jumped the shark and no longer made any sense at all. Oh, yeah, they I don't give them... Gonzo. I don't take them seriously. When I go see the Fast and Furious... I go to see The Fast and the Furious, which is now crazy, off the walls, unbelievability. I just don't go. I go, oh, yeah, you can't jump that, but that looked cool. Yeah, that was into space. You have to yeah. huff paint to go into it to just shut your brain down. Thanks. <laughs> Th- but, thanks for insulting me, Mark. Hey, you said but, you shut your own brain down. I just said you can, if you huff well, paint. No, I huff. said I, I don't believe it. I accept the unbelievability of it, and I go with it. Same All with, right, so yep. you, you, you huff imaginary paint. <laughs> no, 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 but, but, but Thomas is right. For some reason, I can do that for Moonraker, and I can do that for, um, I think, Quantum of Solace and the new Casino Royale that Daniel Craig was in. You know, I, I haven't watched a ton of Bond movies, but at the end I can go, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's complete crap and unbelievable, but it's mm-hmm. Bond. So, yeah. yeah, I'm supposed to believe that, that Bond hit a button on that gondola and transformed it into a powerboat and then transformed it into something that's a float that can run on land. Sure. Why not? Because and they missed from 15 feet away with those um, uh, submachine guns repeatedly. Yeah, it's. I think it's because he's suave and classy. You said it, classy. When you add to, yeah, Bond is classy. When you take Vin Diesel, you get a bunch of people with, I'm a, I'm a wrestler with tattoos, and my first movie had the theme song of I guy going, My way, my way. It just really kind of kills the movie. You can't take it seriously. My way or the hot way. Yeah. When it basically, when it's just, it's different because it's not classy. You go into it knowing... Let's see. It's the ever-expanding family, criminals, and it just – there's no class to it. There, you look at these people, and all you see is they're trying to come off as – the family tries to come off as um, ordinary. Ordinary, good old American people who live on the farm and are like everybody else. We're not like that, okay? We're not Vin Diesel bulked up. We're not John Cena. Don't try to pretend. I gotta hit the pause button here for one second. Oh boy, here's was my that in, was that an impression of Fred Durst or a cat being lit on fire in the studio? <laughs> Who could tell the difference? <laughs> I heard like do 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 my way. 
<laughs> Who can tell the difference? I thought it sounded like someone stepped a on a cat. Yeah, you. <laughs> What's the difference when between did you get a cat dust and a cat's death? <laughs> there, I just nailed it again. I'm, you're like, damn it, nailed it. <laughs> I, I, who can tell the difference? Wow. <laughs> Corn. All right, moving on. But so that's basically the plot. So let's just get into the good old fashioned rips and picks. Ooh, 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 ooh. All ooh. right, Thomas, start us off. Where is this a rip or pick? Uh, a rip. All right, that's how we usually do this. Yes. Uh, ri- radar does not work that way. Oh. <laughs> Radar does not usually work most ways in movies. Well, yes. Um, we can't be seen because there must be a radar jammer. Radio, radio, what, what? Radar jamming doesn't work that way. For one, instead of actually not appearing, you would appear at multiple places at multiple times. You'd just basically show up all over the place. You'd be like a bunch of satellites. Yeah, also... Good luck hiding something that big on radar. I know. The heat generation alone would make someone be like, uh, well, also, what's that? Also, it's like, uh, I'm sorry, you might be able to kind of hide it, maybe with stealth technology and maybe some radar-absorbing materials, not jamming. But then you also have the problem of you've been launching satellites up there and back and forth to build it. You'd probably be paying attention to that spot because everyone seems to be stopping in that spot. Yeah, right. Especially the shuttles. It's like, the shuttles are going that way. Well, I wonder what's there. Radar doesn't show it. There! Also, yeah. space radar isn't exactly the same as actual radar because it doesn't function in atmosphere the same. I was going to say the better thing to do would say that the station was existing in a Lagrange point. Because that's at least something real that is a blind spot that yeah. something could hide. But and it again, would be stationary, yeah. Again, though, the shuttles are going to be tracked, and you don't think NORAD's just going to be like, hey, we got these shuttles that head off to this uh, point where they disappear into a Lagrange point. Should we send something there? Like uh, the, yeah. the super special United States Marine <laughs> space shuttle that doesn't exist? Space Force! Space Force! That's what I meant when I said Space Force! Yeah. I love uh, that. That uh, cracked me up because that shows you the, the stupidity of thinking that there would be, as we exist now, zero-G combat in space. With laser bolts yeah. flying everywhere. And going... Also, calling up the Soviet Union at the time and being like, hey, we're sending our space force out. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't mind, do you? Oh, no, no, no. Just remember, if anything goes bad, we're blaming you. I'm sorry, what? This is the middle of the Cold War, and you just be like, yeah, yeah. we're sending our Space Force we up. We have a Space Force. We'll give you sure 24 hope you hours. Don't. <laughs> we'll give you 24 hours to solve this existential threat to the world's continued existence, America. Sure. No problem. That, that's exactly what would happen. The phone would hang up, and immediately thereafter, pick up the phone to call, uh, I don't know if that would have been Coms- Brezhnev or um, um, Gorbachev yet. But either way, the premier... Hi, the Americans just admitted they had a space marine force with laser guns. Ah. Uh, well, I guess our... We need to get on that. Oh, there, it's like, okay, well, we already have one, but they admitting it really comes in useful. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, let's see. Uh, also, how about lasers don't work that way? Oh, of course not. 
But, but you know what? We lasers can't, don't we can't, work that way in any science fiction that, franchise. Exactly. We can't knock yeah. that too much. It would be really hard to things. show an exciting sci-fi fight with lasers as they would be, which was like just clear, superheated beams of light. Yeah. And yeah. not only that, you wouldn't. They'd be stuck in a giant generator on a ship. You couldn't pick it up. Also, how about that? I'm sorry. I don't think a space shuttle can actually carry that many marines, but okay. Oh, I know. They mentioned <laughs> that, too. It's like, wait, it, what, huh? And they just launched a full platoon. Yeah. Or also, I'm like, oh, you fit an entire platoon in spacesuits inside the, wait a minute, the shuttle's not that big. Did this guy, like, just take the sh- outline of the shuttle and say, perfect, use it? There weren't <laughs> enough seats to strap the marines in. Like, they're all dead from liftoff. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they were just, like, backed up <laughs> Marines are all, they're, they're gone. We didn't even get that far. Uh, hey, I got an idea. Let's just ram the shuttle into the satellite. You think that'll work? Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, apparently there were extra Marines not in the bay because when they docked, they also had Marines going onto the shuttle from, onto the station from that. So, apparently there were enough Marines somehow stuffed onto that shuttle to, I don't know, take over a small country. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like, hmm, I I don't remember how big the shuttle is off the top of my mind, but not that big, that's for sure. Yeah. Also, apparently, the best and the brightest includes a whole massive amount of security forces. Well, and that's the other thing, too. The best and the brightest aren't in spacesuits in the shuttle. They're just in the back like it's an... Shouldn't they be in <laughs> spacesuits during liftoff? Well, that also brings up a whole nother subject that I wanted to get to. G-forces, guys! Yeah! They don't exist anymore. Because apparently, yeah, you just launch into space without suits or G-suits. Which is really stupid, because they start the movie off testing him in a, in a I was, G-simulator. I was about to get yeah. to that, where, yeah, I'm sorry, you can test someone in a G-simulator. But the difference being, when you get into one of those things, you get in a full flight suit, which includes G-suit, which inflates and helps you. And that allows a person to survive up to those G levels. He gets in in a regular suit and tie without a G suit on. I'm sorry, he would have passed out way before then without any... Before 13 Gs? Yes. Without any... I mean, it doesn't matter how much training he goes through. A G... let Let me put it this way. Right now... The most advanced fighters in the American arsenal are the F-22 Raptor and the F-35 Lightning. I don't know if you guys know this, but there is actually inside the software for both of those fighters a hard limiter to prevent over Gs. Mm -hmm. They both limit the turn rate that they can do to 9G. They can do more physically on the... Structure of the plane. They can go past 9Gs. But the pilot cannot. So the software inside those planes will not allow the pilot to pull more than 9Gs for a limited amount of time. And that's with the most professional trained pilots in G suits mm-hmm. pulling a very limited time 9G. All right. 13, he would have been mush. Well, and. You know what's funny about that, too, is the whole concept of Hugo Drax saying, have Mr. Bond die by accident. You don't think MI6 is going to investigate that? Uh, You think that 
So well, here's what's gonna happen. They just sent one of their their top their top agent to you, and he just disappears off the map. No contact, nothing. So they're not gonna make a phone call to you and go, "Hi, uh, we sent Mr. Bond," which was out there in the open. I mean, you you met him at the airport, so, and uh, we haven't heard neither hide nor hair of him. So, um, what happened? You think they're not gonna? Look into that? You think they're just going to be like, oh, well, that's Mr. Bond. He doesn't do nothing around here. Come on. Well, I Bond mean, has a pretty bad body count of women he slept with, but. Eh. Yeah, one of them would have fessed up at some point. They must have been carrying his kid. It's one of them had to at least. So <laughs> also, also must... I would also like to mention the CIA had a very bad agent going themselves. I know, but. That's the worst I'm, agent ever. I'm just. I'm like. This is the CIA. I get you're trying to... I know they're incompetent at times, but seriously? If I really wanted to derail the show... Don't. I would make a comment on the double entendre you with said, the name of... You said... You, you said oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I want... want, I want so don't. So don't. So let's don't. move on. Aww. So, um, I knew where this was going. Don't start what you don't plan on let's doing. Let's say... Um, to put this in uh, West End Games D6 terms... Okay. What was the difficulty number that James Bond hit to shoot that wrist dart oh into the gosh. control panel at 13 Gs? Well, heroic, but it must have been like in the high 50s or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably the same dice roll he had to shoot the sniper in the tree with bud shot from a shotgun. Without knowing said sniper was there. Right, well, he knew it, but it's like you still have to hit the guy with Birdshot and somehow kill the guy with birdshot. Bond had to use a force point. Roll roll a six on the wild die. Roll that six times. a bunch of times. Then use a character point. Roll a six. Use a character point and roll more sixes. <laughs> yeah. Well, not I mean, only, that's insane. Not only with the shotgun scene too. Let's go back to that. Uh, the perception roll. So the sniper <laughs> was going to shoot Bond right then and there. Again. What are you going to do with the body, Hugo? Do you ever think of that? Because let's just say MI6 gets a hold of it. What are they going to do? Oh, dear. He must have fallen down some stairs and broke his neck. Hey, there's an exit wound in his head here. <laughs> oh, oh, no. That must have been when he impaled himself on rebar. He, he well, also and landed on a bullet. Also, it's like, well, you're using a rifle here instead of a shotgun. So if you want it to be a hunting accident... That might be a little obvious I when know. everyone has shotguns and he got hit with a rifle bullet, but yeah, sure. Dick Cheney still used Plus, a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Man-shaped, six-foot-tall, 200-pound pheasant! <laughs> and then Bond would apologize for the pain. He <laughs> right, right. That's the best about that. The guy that Dick Cheney shot while hunting apologized to Dick Cheney. That tells you how powerful that man was. <laughs> he's a, he's a kind of power me. behind the throne that you should be worried about, people. That he could shoot someone and then get apologized to for the pain I of having that shot scene, someone. That scene was so great. Ah, you missed, Mr. Bond. Did I? <laughs> so it also I, wanted, I wanted to bring that up as a rip, though. I love the immunity that MI6 and intelligence agents have for their operatives all around the world. Mm -hmm. Kills a man in a tree, not in England, and just in leaves. In front of the guy who employs him. Right. Yeah. And just, here you go. Did I miss? And then gets in the car and drives away. Um, then he shows up in France, or is that Italy? 
shows up in Italy and throws a man out of a clock tower to his death in front oh, yeah. of a band and then and stands nothing. there and says, play it again, Sam. And, and nothing, nothing happens. Yep. He destroys all that art in France, million dollars worth of art, leaves another dead body. Or that's the same place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and nothing. I see you handled it with our Italian friends. Yeah, I showed him my MI6 license to kill card. That, well, there was a Because that would work. There was a film license to kill, actually. Well, so. yes, but you go. But that would not work. That I would mean, not work. Remotely, you, it wouldn't work. You have, there are certain people who have diplomatic immunity. But you get kicked out of countries. Well, not only that, diplomatic immunity is eventually going to run out. Well, also, yes, but you, you can do certain things with diplomatic immunity. Sure. But the, the thing is, you get kicked out of countries. It's like, yeah. I'm sorry, you murdered someone, but you're diplomatically and immune. Leave. Plus, there's also extradition treaties depending on who you killed. And- yes, also, I don't know, but I don't, you, you, I'm just going to say this. As a spy... James Bond is the worst spy ever. He's very obvious. Oh my gosh, he sleeps with anything that has a that lacks a Y chromosome. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it's pretty much if you want to kill the guy, just put a woman in front of him. Oh, but yeah. my point more was to the fact of where's James Bond? Oh, there's a gondola fl- going through Venice <laughs> on the street. That's uh, not him. I think that's where he's at. <laughs> I'm. You could track this guy. By the absurd stories coming out. Gondola floats across the streets of Venice. Found him. Cable car crashes. Found him. <laughs> it's like, I, you could track him. He is the most obvious spy ever. Also, if I'm going to blend in in Reno doing a street where everyone's just being crazy, I'm not walking through being the only person in a suit and tie. He's in a tux. Tux, yes. Yeah, yeah. He stands out He's like a, a sore thumb no matter a, where. I don't know. That was uh, Carnival and all sorts of crazy crap yeah. happened in Carnival. Well, yes, so. but I, you didn't see anyone else in a tux or even a suit. Oh, he does stand out. That's he for sure. He stands out no matter where he that goes. for sure. Also brings up the question of, once you make it into the secret base, don't you know your pilots for all your uh, craft? <laughs> How can you just sneak up and be like, wait a minute. Yeah. The guy who's supposed to be flying this one is I've met in the break room. This guy does not look yeah, like it. Yeah. Also, the other pilot's a male. Why is there a male and a female? I was about to say, so I see between uh, <laughs> between briefing an hour ago and now, I see you got a sex change. Good job. That was impressive. Yeah. It, it, just like, I'm sorry, but also this this villain is like the worst villain well, I shouldn't say that because some of the villains well, are even worse. Bond villains. But these Bond villains, like, here's my, my massive base that everyone can see and track me. But somehow I secretly made it here, found plants here. Also, I have a secret base here, which, again, how are you getting supplies here? You have satellites here. How does no one know that you moved an entire you know, production base over here? No one seems to know it. Also. Your entire plan is just to have. I'm I'm confused about his plans, but okay. Do you have a viable uh, breeding population on nope. that space station? The answer is no, uh, because I believe they brought him from Earth, and then I don't know what happened. After I don't that. think you no. have enough. There's no. what I'm saying. I believe the study was you need at least 500, and that was that was bare minimum 
scraping the barrel and possibly having genetic problems well, now was that's, 500. Okay, from, for me anyway, that's getting a little nitpicky well, compared yep. to everything else well, we pointed out, which picks. Like That's obvious. what we're supposed to do. I know. Uh, Drax's Drax's first assassin to go after Bond oh, is boy. horrible. So, one, when you're doing a sneak attack, don't scream ah! or don't dress up in a kendo uniform. Yes. yes. Also, why of all the things, why do all you the use weapons a you could arm yourself? Why a, a kendo, kendo stick? stick? <laughs> why a kendo stick? Why not? I know you're a swordsman. Why not a sword? Why oh, something God. that you have to bludgeon him to death with? Plus, kendo sticks are designed not to necessarily kill. So. I have a yeah, kendo stick. Things- they hurt, but they don't. I, I've been hit with one. Guess what? I'm still alive. I guess you could kill someone with it, but it would take a lot of hits in it's one It's the spot. thing you use in training sword fighting. Yes. Why use a training sword? Um, It's no, like using is- a rubber knife. Yep, but this is also what I always said the Buffy the Vampire Slayer problem was. The vampires are nice enough to always fight her with their fists. Why would none of them ever just show up with a gun or a machine gun when she came in to fight them hand to hand and (laughs) solve the Slayer problem? (laughs) We're good. The only person on Earth who can kill us is down. Well, that's because she's like an honor code. She admitted admitted a pheromone that made them want to fight her fisticuffs. Right. Uh But no, this is the same problem. I've got to kill James Bond. Let's use the most unrealistic way possible to do it. A well, kendo I, stick. Well, I mean, Austin Powers made fun of that trope time and again with things like begin this unnecessarily slow-moving dipping mechanism. Close the gate! Wait. Is that it? Yeah. You're just gonna not kill him now? No, I'm gonna leave him in an in a easily escapable situation and assume everything went to plan. Yeah. Why? yeah. I Why have a you- gun. Why don't we just go in there right now? Boom! Done. You just don't get it, do you, Scott? <laughs> it, no, but it, 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 it is a genuine fact that you, again, because we turn off our brains with James Bond, this is one of them where you turn off your brain and just go, yep, that, that totally makes sense that that's how you kill him? It's a Bond film. Well, you know, my dad put it this way, and it makes sense when you consider the taste of the time let's say when bond films first started coming out at that era there was just some utter fascination this was the 60s yeah. there was an utter fascination with escapes don't know why but you saw it in the 60s batman he was always escaping some elaborately stupid yeah. trap from this uh, i mean i remember one of the dumbest ones i saw in batman was he was stuck inside a him and Robin were stuck inside a plastic like reverberator and water was dripping on the top causing killing echoes which would cause their head to explode unless they got out or the being chained to tin foil with giant magnifying glasses that the sun would kill them again things that are it's, just like it's a basically rube goldberg machines where you're going in, in what the worst way possible and well, of course they get out I mean. well yeah okay, and it so always gets out but bond so bond kind of picked that up and that just became a legacy that kept going until more recent installments in the 80s when they're like all right we're gonna have an escape but let's try to make it a little more believable believable Whereas this was more, no, 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 just lean into it, man. Oh, lean yeah. into it. Well, let's be honest. Bond films have still 
a little bit of insanity. Oh, with sure. Them, but sure. they've at least moved into somewhat of a grounding. Yeah, a little bit. Where you go, okay. Because I can kind of believe that. Oh, yeah. wow, Bond is actually using a gun instead of fists. Yeah, because uh, tastes have changed. Censorship has changed. I mean, you couldn't just plug people um, unless it was like a World War II film or something. Then it was acceptable for the most part. Uh, so things have changed in terms of taste and censorship that allow yeah. for Bond to pick up a gun and plug a bad guy. Now, I do have a pick that... Yeah, we should really get into some picks before well, we wrap up. I do have a pick. And you two might hate this pick. But being that it's Bond, and Bond being Bond... I like that he's just an unbasted womanizer. That isn't great, but I get, you know, when I was That's why I specified it. When I was teaching abroad, I asked uh, one of my students, "What kind of films do you like?" He's like, "James Bond." I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Because it's, you know, he's got all those cool gadgets and he gets the women." Okay. And I I didn't necessarily agree with him, but I got the feeling. I understood the feeling like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a He's suave. He's got all the cool stuff. And he always gets the girl. If you ever want to see the the change in society in the last 40 years, just realize that in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even the 90s, James Bond was what the men wanted to be. Yeah. Had yeah. all the cool toys. He was... Always had a, a smooth, suave comeback and cutting remark for any situation. He never panicked, no matter how in over his head he was. He had the, the Aston Martin car that was just, mm -hmm. you know, and it appeared in like five films. All the Bond girls, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and he saved the day with a, with a quip in, in using amazing technology that still doesn't have a chance of existing. But James Bond was the epitome of male coolness. Mm -hmm. And that character could not get greenlit today. And I am amazed in some ways that they're still making Bond movies. And that there hasn't been a cancel culture movement there is. for James Bond in its there, entirety. There is. There, there but is. they're also trying to change things up, I guess. Um, the, la the, the current one that should have been out already, but is still in constant bits of delay. Not just because of COVID, but I, I don't know. Tune into like Midnight's Edge if you want to see a full coverage of what, what's possibly going on there. But um, yeah, there's always talk about changing Bond and uh, to swapping him out so from a white guy to something else. So yeah, um, just that's always in the background conversation these days. Yay, yeah. we can Doctor Who him. Well, yeah, well, I mean, you can't. But, but you're right. That does show a sea change, Scott. Uh, Scott, you know, before we go on any more picks, though, you had one more rip, and it had to do with Jaws. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jaws is an evil henchman. And what turns him to being a good guy is the power of love. Well, that and the realization that... Uh, that he doesn't guy... fit in his master race. Exactly. Yeah, the combination of those two things. But it, I don't know. It's just hackneyed and terrible, and you took a really good Bond villain and you made him lame. You didn't do anything with him as a good guy, even. Mm. And it just, I don't believe, you don't even believe the love story. It's just literally love at first sight because love at first sight. Yeah. Don't even have to have words behind it, and they love each other. 
could happen. It I'm could. Not say, I'm not saying there's any longevity in it, but uh, the free, first spark, sure. It's just, yes, the first spark is always that way, and then you see if something builds. But um, as far as writing and as far as it's it's just hackneyed and clearly jammed in there and makes no sense. It's terrible. Even in a Bond movie, that things don't have to make sense. It's just terrible. The character arc makes no sense. You don't see it coming. He doesn't find his way to it. It's just two snaps, two different yep. moments to snap him in to being a good guy. Yep. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, and that, for being a Bond film where you kind of just turn your brain off, that one is one of those jarring moments where you just go, what? Huh? Yeah, you just have to roll with it because it happens and it's like, all right, I get where they're going with this. Um, weak, but I get where they're going with it. Well, weak. Honestly, it didn't even, for me, I, it was a James Bond film. I turned my brain off. <clears throat> I was accepting Marines in space and lasers and a space station yeah. and radar jamming and all. I was accepting all of it. Well, this was And then his character arc just goes, and I'm like, what? Again, a lot of this came out of the fact that it was trying to replicate and or compete with Star Wars. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's why some of the more balls-to-the-walls things were happening. You mean like taking a space shuttle off of a plane? Yeah. Where yeah. you don't have it fueled, you also can't launch from that. But, okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that was idiotic. Um. I, I read in some of my pre-show research, you know, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a whole ton of Bond films, but I've read that there's a debate uh, among modern Bond fans that is this the worst Bond film ever or the man with the golden gun? And uh, from everything I can read, this is a bad example of a Bond film. Yeah, it's definitely a Bond film, and I get the vibe, but I agree compared to something like Goldeneye or Goldfinger, a lot of gold. Uh, <laughs> Or the spy who loved me. These are I, this I have, is really just trying to go over the top, compete with Star Wars. I have seen I, Scott. You said you've only seen a couple of them. Yeah. Well, I have. I don't. I don't think I've seen all of them, but I've seen a few other James Bonds. And this one does stand out as definitely a weird one. Doesn't it? It, it, it as you said, Mark. It's over the top. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to vibe. I mean, there's moments where, yay, he's womanizing. That matches his character. Oh, the, but there's a lot of other things where it's just like, that doesn't feel it like just, a James Bond. Exactly. And it it doesn't make sense. to womanize. And it's like, he doesn't even stick to womanizing one woman in this film. Well, he always, yeah, he he was always doing something. Oh, no, I, I'm women, looking at it with but, a modern lens. I'm oh, not looking right. at this with any nostalgia lens, so I'm looking at it clear-headed without nostalgia. No, I'm nostalgia. just yeah. saying, I'm, I'm not defending that. I'm just saying they always did that for some unfortunate yeah. reason. It was part but, of the appeal of the franchise. The, yeah. the, it, some of the appeal of the franchise for some people was less about James Bond and the Bond girl the Bond, in the next yes. Bond film. Yeah, yes, there was definitely things. that, which also brings up the question of, in this one, he had three of them and two of them survived? And they weren't even, and of course, because they're just there for the flesh fantasy, they're not really that important. No, the CIA no. agent is kind of important, but the well, other I two mean, are she just is there. I that's the that's the thing. The normally a Bond girl, or at least from my viewings, 
have at least some character importance. And at least have some, like, and have some importance. Doesn't, sometimes it's very minimum. But you know which one. In this one, you don't even know the which Bond girl is the Bond girl until almost halfway through the film. And even then, it's iffy. She's barely there for anything other than I can fly a space shuttle once. Yeah. And I'm CIA. Okay, great. That's it. I you would. Know, I mean, asked about picks. I would come up with one, but I don't have one for well, this. The only a- thing that could be cool about this film is that it's in the James Bond franchise. Yeah, you know, Scott, you kind of brought us to a great landing point here with uh, it's debatable whether this is the worst Bond film uh, between that and The Man with the Golden Gun. So I think with that in mind, since we've kind of reached that conclusion where we're kind of in consensus with that discussion, let's just rate this. How many, uh, let's see. Moonrakers. Moonraker, obvious. How many Moonrakers are we going to give it? I, I'll go first. All right. While you guys try to figure out. Oh, I'm ready, but go ahead. Okay. Fine. Fine. Um, I think I will give it three. It's not a even for James Bond film. It's not a great one. It's also long. We didn't really touch on this, but it is a long film. And it at times got tedious and that's saying something for a james bond film it's supposed to be turn brain off be exciting don't care at times i'm just like how much longer do i have so it's not even that good of a james bond film and i can't sit there going oh this is a classic must see but i can't also be too hard on it because again i'm accepting it's a james bond so i'm not sitting there going well the angle here was terrible and didn't it's james bond who cares about that the story's going to be stupid i know so on all that i'm rating it in that box i'm putting it in still not great yeah i'm gonna be with you thomas i give it three moonrakers it's it's a terrible film um the plot is garbage the pacing is absolutely horrendous you said it gets tedious Honestly, I felt it was tedious the whole time. I did the pause to see how much time is left four or five times in this and was disappointed every time. Um, I actually started watching it Friday night, and I couldn't really stay into it. So 25 minutes in, I stopped and restarted it Saturday morning because I just couldn't. I actually started it Friday night, then started it later Friday night, and then had to sit down and rewatch it and start it again on Saturday. It's tedious. Um... Oh, I watched aside, it all in one sitting, and I, it's, yeah. oh. It's tedious. Aside from Roger Moore, the acting is bad. I think the acting is just terrible. Uh, the plot makes no sense. Um, the resolution isn't even really satisfying. Um, I know it's a Bond villain, but, like, the, the evil Bond villain plan isn't even that great. Um, it, and, and it's supposed to be an action-packed film. I can say this about the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, at least they do ramp up the action. You know, they put a Pontiac Fiero in space, but the action was great. And and at least you can build a connection to some of the characters. In this film, it, it, there's nothing... The only redeemable thing about this film is that it's in the James Bond universe and has James Bond in it. Uh, and, and that gets it its three points back from if it wasn't a James Bond film, this thing is 
a bad parody film of a James Bond film. It's, it's, this is a crap movie. I'm sorry. It's crap. Well, I mean, you said it's a parody film and, uh, Austin Powers borrowed a lot of this stuff. Uh, in particularly in part two was a heavy Moonraker copycat parody. So, uh, but I would rate this a four. It's a James Bond movie. It has fun moments, but yeah, when you take away the fun moments, it's like, this doesn't seem like a James Bond movie. The first James Bond movie I ever saw was You Only Live Twice, and it's a definite different feel in Dr. No and Goldfinger, uh, the, the Timothy Dalton films, the Pierce Brosnan films. All of them are better than this. They seem like in the Bond universe. This seems like clearly a, we want to make a Bond movie, but we need to make sure it's Star Wars-ish. And it reminds me of that era, you know, 1977, the first few years after, when everybody was trying to be Star Wars. I mean, for crying out loud, even Kiss. The band Kiss made Kiss Beats the Phantom of the Park, which was Kiss plus Star Wars. And it was one of the worst films ever made. Again, I like it in so much as that it was crap. I like it for the crappedness. That's it. You like bad movies. Let's- yeah, exactly. But... And that's, but you got to catch me on the right day to feel that. Other days, I if you I watch Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park, I'd be like, Bleh! because it's so awful. I mean, Paul Stanley said that he was slinking down his chair at the premiere and wished he could have just crawled out of the theater without anybody seeing him. It was just that bad. And this is kind of in the same vein of the acting was fine from Roger Moore, but it just is way too not bond and too much um science fiction wackadoo so for um it yeah the fact that it's a bond film is where it got most of its points the cool gadgets and all that and that's about it so what did you sickies think of moonraker had you ever have you ever seen it um and how would it stack up to other james bond films you've seen you can let us know at www.gondola of death type robot and oh raving lunatic media.com raving lunatic media.com raving lunatic media.com rage master what's left for them to do stay six
Hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is our uh, sci-fi melody. Dresses up as a man from space. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. <laughs>